1: Enthralling, remarkable, stupendous, and I think you'll find super interesting episode of
2: FNO InsureTech
1: with your host. Le- oh. oh, oh, we've. I been, had it. I had it ready. You, d- you go ahead. Go on. Okay, ready. Pick it up. Three, two, one, go. FNO InsureTech with your host Rob Beller and <laughs> that's right. Lady. Oh, I wasn't even going to say your name today. I, just, <laughs> I was just going to leave it off. I believe together. it. Okay, let's let's be honest with each other, Lee. Okay, Rob. Okay? It's we're, the Lee we're Show. Co- we're co-hosts, okay? But yeah. if I had my wish, it would just be FNO and SureTech with Rob Beller, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I does do think it, that you think that. Yeah. Doesn't it feel that way? It does feel that way. Often, you you make me feel that way.
1: You're very insecure around this around this point, uh-huh. and I've never one time not not either introduced you or set you up to be introduced, right? So why do you feel this way? You have nothing to base it on.
2: I really don't. Just of who who you are, and you know, I'm just wondering what sometimes what what you're thinking.
1: But everybody, all the feedback that we get from FNO and SureTech people always say lovely great host, what a great job Lee does, et cetera. They never never mention me.
2: Well, that's nice of Astrid, and I appreciate that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We have a groupie, ladies and gentlemen. It's a little-known fact. FNO Mm -hmm. InsurTech has a groupie.
2: But, heck, if you were to have a groupie, what a heck of a groupie to have. What a smart person out there. She's
1: one of the smartest, most intelligent, most sought-after consultants in our Mm -hmm. industry, right? Yeah, And she's our groupie, Astrid. Yeah,
2: Yeah. but you know, she hadn't been on the show yet.
1: Are you driving at something, Lee? Are you driving at something?
2: (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe I am driving. If only we knew the analytics around what I was driving to.
1: If only there was a way to measure accurately what you're driving at. Well, Or what you're driving is. Yeah,
2: wouldn't that be neat if if maybe we knew that?
1: Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a platform named Arity that was a, a driving analytics platform off which data we could make all kinds of amazing decisions and have insights from?
2: I think that would be a, a good show. I think, I think that
1: would be a wonderful show. Well, Lee, are you sitting down? I'm always sitting down, Rob. <laughs> okay, because... We have with us today the president of Arity, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Allstate. And their president is a remarkable, bright and thoughtful man, Gary Hallgren, who's coming to us today from Southern California to Mm -hmm. talk about what Arity does and all the interest and intrigue around driving data.
2: Yeah, I, this is going to be a wonderful conversation. Uh, this takes us into a whole nother level of data analytics and what the future holds and, and what it means for us as drivers. I mean, it really is a big thinking interview today. So I'm excited about this one.
1: It's it, it's great. And I'm sure that all of you out there will love it. Gary is super bright, as you mm-hmm. might imagine. And right. so without further ado, let's drive right toward beginning the episode with Gary Hallgren, president of Arity Hey everybody we are here with our guest a special guest uh, Gary Hallgren, who's the president of Arity
0: I guess yeah thanks for uh thanks for having me So yes the uh, the president of Arity and Arity is a wholly owned uh, it's a wholly owned group inside of the Allstate Corporation, so a lot of people know Allstate for the for the good hands and a lot of the advertising that we that we do. So I, what I think about it is Allstate is a a large enterprise, and inside of that, they have a a very big insurance company that we that we do all know. But there's a variety of other businesses that we have as well. We do roadside assistance, so if you have well, not a Verizon phone or a GM vehicle, and you call for roadside assistance. You're actually calling Allstate. If you are on, uh, you're inside of uh, maybe an Amazon experience, or you're at Costco and you get a warranty for your TV. Uh, Walmart, another good example. You're buying a warranty for your electronics from Allstate. If you're at a car dealer and you're looking for extended warranty on your car, you're buying from Allstate. So there's a variety of companies that we have on the that are not part of the insurance company and they roll up to a different division. And, and we're one of those, one of those companies. So from my standpoint, we serve Allstate insurance company. They're our biggest customer and we're
1: owned by the Allstate enterprise. Very, very interesting. And I, and I, I want to dig more into that and how that all came to pass, but why don't we start by giving you a minute or two to kind of tell us what Arity is and what you all do. Sure. Look, we'll just start from a, a basic tenant of why
0: we believe that that we're adding value to the transportation ecosystem and, and why we exist, and it's because I, I believe that there's really no one else in the kind of a little bit arrogant. It sounds this way, so I'll back it up. But I don't really think there's anyone else in the world that can identify and quantify risky driving as well as we do. And I, I feel a little bit, um, always feel a little bit awkward saying, um, you know, we're really unique in this area. But the reason that we are unique is because we were spun out of the all-state corporations. So many people can acquire driving data, and we do. We collect about a billion miles, a billion miles of driving data every two days. So it's a mass amount of driving data. But we also have access to the claims data, to the what actually happened when people get into incidents and accidents. So because of that, we're able to, if you think of it from a machine learning standpoint, you have data coming in and then an outcome on the other side, because we have such a massive amount of of data. I think the number is almost 400 billion miles of driving data and the understanding of the claims inside of it, we have a really unique view of not only what would cause, what sort of driving behaviors would cause a, an accident, but really what type of driving behaviors would cause claims and claims to what extent. And then the last piece to it is insurance companies have been pricing risky drivers or assessing risk for a long period of time based upon things. Um, good example is the 16-year-old kid just starting to drive. So they already know to price that differently. What AirD can do because we have access to the claims data is we can understand what the incremental lift or you could either think of it as surcharge or a reduction in premium would be based upon all these other factors. So that, that really is like our unique capability. So it comes because we grew out of the Allstate Corporation. It comes because we collect a massive amount of data and then we're uh, we're at data and analytics company and in, in understanding this driving data to really understand risky driving in a way that uh, most others can't.
1: So do I understand it correctly that you have this platform that includes, like you said, 400 billion miles. I'm just wondering how far that is. That's a long way. <laughs> it's probably out of our solar system, I'm guessing. 400 billion miles of data, and then customers can come to you and say, hey, this is how we want to use this data and what we think we can use it for. Or you approach people and not only in our insurance vertical, but outside and say, we have all this very interesting data that we can help give you insights with. Is, is that kind of correct?
0: That's yeah, a great way to think about it. So it, it started from a use case that, that we know that, that the insurance industry is going to change. There, People have been trying, well, forever it, since driving began, you tried to, to create proxies of what you know about somebody to try to assess what you think their driving is going to to be like. And it really wasn't until 2010 when companies started to actually have the, like, the technical wherewithal to monitor the driving and to start to build models around it. And the Allstate Corporation was one of those leading companies during that period of time. They plug a device in your car, you start collecting data, and then start to build models around it in 2014 or so 2015 started to use mobile phones to do a similar sort of uh, an exercise collect this data and build models around it and we determined over a period of years that not only is this a predictive way of doing it but it is the most predictive way of doing it so we believe very strongly that the whole industry will at some point in the future price based upon how you actually drive and in some ways, it's totally logical that that would be the case. Like, why, why should you be trying to assess through proxies how you think I'm going to drive when you can just determine how I drive? Like your credit score. Yeah, that's a fantastic example because in, in kind of two ways. One, because it was a, an area where they took a massive amount of data, in that case that existed, which wasn't necessarily your credit score, but it was data about it was data that goes into creating a credit score. When they built a credit score what they did is they they looked at that same amount of data how many accounts do you have balances missed payments all these different aspects and then they put that against an output and the output was maybe a default on a loan or um, other bad credit habits and from that they were able to create a credit score what the insurance industry did is they took that same pool of the available data and they matched it together with claims data and they were able to find a correlation between this data. You could, Again, you can think of it as a credit score, but uh, you can think of this, these credit variables or these credit characteristics and how that applies to insurance. And it completely transformed the insurance industry in 2000 to 2002 or so as companies adapted that because those that figure out how to, they, they figure out how to assess risk differently than someone else they have an enormous advantage and telematics is going to provide that that same advantage going forward. We, we know that is true because we know it is the most predictive way of assessing risk. So the logical question, I'm going to stop there for a minute if you want to ask questions on that, but the logical question then is, okay, how come it's not happening so much so far? Why is the adoption not where we want it to be today?
2: One of my questions is, is there a day where I can take my driving scorecard And shop insurance and say, this is how good of a driver I am, insurance company A or B bid for my business. Is that day ever gonna come?
0: The day is definitely going to come. Because the reason that credit adopted so fast and this industry has been trying to figure it out for and realistically for 10 years now was because the data doesn't exist. So that the data for credit has been collected for decades. And in collecting that for for decades, they determined that it was pretty easy to build models around it, and you could adopt it quite quickly. When you think about driving data, the driving data doesn't exist. There's no place that you could go today to say, I want to get Gary's driving data. So what Arity decided to do once we built these models and realized that this is how the adoption was going to go, we said, where where does this data exists today in the market? And could we find ways to create a business around collecting that data? So we work with application providers. So a good example is a company called Life360. If you're Mm -hmm. a parent with teens, chances are you know of this, this app. What we provide for them is it's kind of like threefold. What we provide for the customer is because we understand accidents or crashes, for a better way to simplified way of saying it, we can help them. So a family knows if one of their people in their circle actually got into a car accident. So we provide a you can think of it almost a service similar to OnStar, but we do that for Life 360. So it's a good case for for customers, and it really makes us feel good about what we provide in a sense to to that group of people, to society. We get a thing every other week, it seems like, of being able to save some someone that we get thanked for by providing the ambulance to someone who was on the rural road. Yeah. So that's one piece to it. The other piece to it is now that we understand the driving, we can understand who the best drivers are. So we've created an advertising marketplace And with that, for the first time, insurance companies cannot just say that I want drivers that are in a certain zip code or drivers that potentially bought a new car or drivers that are of this demographic group in ways that they target today. They can say, I want the best drivers. And we know because we've collected this much data and have access to the claims data, we know that the top tiered ARITY driver is over three times the lifetime value of the average driver. And we know that the bottom tier of Airdy drivers is going to be kind of a money loser for an insurance company if they use their standard pricing. So with that, we created an advertising marketplace and it allows insurance companies to get value. It allows the great drivers inside of the Life360 application to get better prices on insurance and it allows people to protect their family as well. So that was like one example. We also have a relationship with uh, WeatherBug and other app (laughs) providers. So what we're trying to do is to build a massive database so that, in a sense, you could have a score in every driver in the country. And at that point, drivers will have their score and they will be able to shop it.
2: I'm sitting here thinking that in my vehicle, I have a little piece of equipment that grades my driving, and it is associated with my insurance company. Now, I have my phone, but I don't really have anything else that's capturing my data. Thinking forward five or 10 years from now, and I'm going to need my long-term driving record, just like my long-term credit score, would it behoove me to get something like Life360 as well so that we could maybe take that data and
0: continue to build our scorecard of driving so in, in principle, I agree with that concept. I don't think that the all the infrastructure is in place to, to how all that coordinates together to the point that I would act on that today. But I think you're thinking about it in the, in the right way, that there's going to be different means to collect this data. Ultimately, I, I think a lot of data could come from, from the cars themselves, whether or not it's a, a device that you plug in because of your insurance company relationship or just with the relationship directly. We have a relationship with Ford, so we're doing ways to collect data with them today. There'll be others that we'll announce in the future as well. So we believe that there's a future state where the data will come from from the vehicle itself. It's interesting because people could then think about that as the, the nirvana to this. But in, in other ways, that the value of the phone is distracted driving is such a huge component of assessing risk, and you don't get that from the car. So you need to have something on the phone in order to understand what risky driving is when when driving and with with really the, the big problem of distraction that is that is going on today. So I, I think it's a good mix of things, but they'll they'll all at some point come into a, a place where it'll it'll be like a FICO score. I'm just convinced of that, and and yeah. we, in the middle of that, and there's other companies I'm sure that are have a similar view to it. So with our, what do we have today? 23, 24 million people connected to us We're like, it's kind of a race to see who can get to scale.
1: So I want to talk about that part of it. Who's connected to you, the 23 million people. I assume it's mostly through the phone or people's personal cell phones. Is that correct? How do you get that? Do people opt in? Where does it come from? Is it anonymized? Let's talk about the the data, data source for a minute
0: yeah the company started when there was a lot more of the the plug-in devices so the everyone calls them obd devices but it's, you could think of it as a cell phone that plugs into your car in the same place that when you get your car smog checked typically they, they plug in and you can get information from that so we started from that and then there's programs where we work with insurance companies directly the Allstate state drivewise program is one but National General is another. We have other ones that we're launching as as well be announcing actually quite soon. So then there are those types of programs. And then there's our application relationships with companies like Life360 and Weatherbug and, and others that we glean information that way too. So we'll continue to, to get this information wherever it makes sense to get it from. When you think of the privacy aspect of it, we're very much... The reason I, I like this, and people will look at this and kind of wonder how do I feel about my data being used to assess my risk? And virtually anybody that I talk to, when you start describing that, what this does is it understands how you actually drive. And in the absence of that, then people have to make assumptions about who you are, as opposed to what you're doing. And when you start having that conversation, the idea that this creates more transparency, and it creates more empowerment, usually, I think people will start to to understand that that this is actually a far more reasonable way to to assess risk because it actually is related to the activity that you're doing. That being the case, any of these programs, as well as all of our app relationships, is all in uh, an opt-in sort of uh, sort of manner. So everybody that that is involved with one of these insurance programs chooses to be in this insurance program, and everybody that's using these apps has in in the privacy how the data is being used and how it works. As far as how Arity uses it, we're more inclined to have more of an anonymized view of what I'll understand is that the Arity ID 1234 has a driving score of X, as opposed to knowing that it's that it's Gary Holligren or Stacey Silver.
2: So with that, you don't necessarily
0: tie the score to a person, you tie it more to a number? It's tied to a driver. So in an insurance okay. program, we you're certainly tying it to a driver, or in an OBD case, you're describing it to how a car is being used. But in the the vast vast majority of cases, AirD doesn't collect any PII. In fact, I don't think we ever collect any PII on okay. on an individual. Um, we're enabling other companies to to do that. Um, like even in the advertising use case, what we we don't collect PII per se, but advertisers say, "I want to target." individuals that are, have driver score tier one, two, or three. Um, they're not saying that I want to, I'm not able to say that I want to send a direct mail piece to, to Gary. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yes. does.
1: Yeah. Right. So they can give you a demographic that they're interested in. Is that correct? So companies are doing that
0: today. The insurance industry is very, well, the whole advertising ecosystem is very good at, at understanding these demographic aspects to it, what already provides is another layer that goes on top of that, which now looks at the best drivers. It's just such a, a different way of doing it because before everyone is having to find a way to proxy to guess who the best drivers are. And if we can tell them, no, these are the ones that you truly want, then they can start to do their other filters on top of that.
2: All this got me thinking about something. I was talking to some coworkers just the other day about having my driving analytics tool in my car and how I don't mind it, it helps me get a discount on my insurance, it's good. And they said, I'll never do that because I don't want anybody seeing how I'm driving. And so now I'm sitting here thinking, one, has there been any study, and I guess there's no way to, on people who have driving analytic tools in their car, are they better drivers than those who don't? But then are we getting real data of a large group of drivers if they're, if they're having to opt in? knowing that they're being watched how they drive? Or does that even matter?
0: So a couple of things there. The first piece, are they better drivers? There's an assumption with insurance programs that if you opt in to share your data, that there's some sort of a self-selection bias, that typically those are better drivers. And I do think that that that's probably real to some extent. But there's also drivers who think they're good who are not, and those that think they're not that are good so that so i think there's this preconceived notion of that so do we believe that early on in this business there was some element of self-selection there we think there probably was and that was relatively real what we see now through these app relationships where we're looking at 20 million at a time we're better able to understand that distribution and we don't think that that's the case we believe that our scores are built on enough cross-section of the population now that 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 self-selection bias doesn't affect us anymore if you have a small User base and you just haven't been able to tune your models enough, then maybe that would be that would be true. As far as the, of the sharing of data, we've done research on that. so moving more into user research or customer research and it's been going up over time. I think there was that perception in the beginning of of I, I want yeah, I don't want to have my driving tracked. you know I would never do that. And that number went, had been we went back a year or so ago that number was in the 30% range of people that would feel comfortable for that. And that number was going up about 3% a year. So we periodically look at it. What's been interesting since the, uh, the COVID pandemic was when we did this survey, again, it was at 50%. So there's a, a markedly change since the pandemic of interest in sharing data like this. And to a large degree, it's, there's probably you know, a couple of characteristics to it. The the biggest one being is I'm just not driving my car anymore and I'm not driving my car. I want to tell you that I'm not driving my car. And so that, because you, you should be charging me significantly less. And and the reality was insurance companies uh, have done that. They've they've returned a vast amount of money back to their, their policyholders because they, they just haven't been driving. And I think maybe in, in some ways that understanding that that makes a difference has opened more awareness and acceptance of sharing data in that way.
1: Sure. And I know from my own experience, my car's outside right now. And as we were talking before, I live in Northern California. So it's covered with ash, sadly, because I don't drive much. I hardly drive at all. Looking forward, I'm sure you guys are thinking about this. Do you think that post-COVID, everything just goes back to the way it was? Are you expecting any change as a result of this? Or what do you think the long-term view is on that?
0: It's one of the things I've been describing. Just how this all has happened. It's like a very, such a grand experiment. All this work from from home. All the the way that it's really just changing things we would have never thought possible. But kind of here we are. It's like this grand experiment. I just wish I wasn't in it. Right? But to living uh, you know, kind of <laughs> this thing all the time. So what we saw was in in early March, driving just literally fell off uh, fell off a cliff. And it was down it was down 70% nationally because we have such a massive data set of the, the 23 million. we were able to break that down by city literally by zip code throughout uh, almost all aspects of the of the country. So we could see how driving changed, how many miles, how many trips, duration of trips, uh, length of trips, time of day, as well as some of the, the, the driving characteristics as well. And we were, we were plotting this going this going down. And then it started to uh, to come back up and you, you see little fits and starts that happen in, in different periods of time. And and now it's it's come up. In some cases, it's kind of back to where it was. And in other cases, it's still down 20% or so. Whether it goes back all the way, I don't think there's anybody that believes it's going to go back all the way. Personally, when I, when I think about now, you live in and around LA, and the idea that you would even think about crossing L.A. during certain times of day is like... You would never do it. Right. And now the idea that I had a friend down here that they were going to go visit somebody in Santa Barbara on a Saturday for lunch. And that was not down in Southern California. That that probably would have been, I don't know, three and a half hours, something like that, in the worst amount of, of times. And now it's, I don't know, it's whatever, less than two hours to get up there, you have lunch, turn around and come back. You're home by, by dinner time kind of thing. And it, it just didn't happen. So I I think the the way people have traveled and how this is kind of back to my traffic engineering days, it doesn't take that many, that much of a percentage reduction to make the freeways flow and work. It's only one that kind of critical point that it, it breaks down and it's just a mess for, for hours. And it, it does make me think with the, all the dist- redistribution of work. And then also just the fact that people were given up I don't know, an hour, two hours of their day sitting in traffic. I was like, I'm just not going to do it anymore. So one, either it because work is still from home or, or otherwise, I, I just think it's, personally, I, I think this change is here for for the duration. To what extreme? Like, who knows?
1: So you think the revolution of rush hour is real and there's more to come? I was commuting back and forth to Chicago every week. So between
0: driving to airports and, and then the amount of time spending in airports and waiting for planes and things. And to now not have to do that, I'm, I'm trying to think of what would make that okay to start again. When I, I think of people down here that are going up to L.A. back and forth to work, are they, are they really going to do that and give up that much of their day again or not? People in Chicago going from the suburbs to the cities, same thing, hour plus each way. Are they going to do it? But it doesn't mean people won't. You know, I can I could foresee a variety of different ways to have more workplaces more regionally versus having this longer distance travel but it will be curious to see cuz there will be more driving things will start to to break down on the freeways and you'll you'll have that traffic a year 18 months 2 years and it'll be back again but I don't know my my instinct says no
1: I'm I'm sure there's few people that wish for that I want to talk about insurance specifically and and your product and How it's used in insurance. Your product helps insurance companies understand somebody's risk profile, and therefore, by using it intelligently, they can price things better or they can find a better cohort of customers who get in fewer accidents. Because, isn't accidents at the end of the day what really drives auto insurance cost?
0: Yeah, I, I think certainly that's a, a big piece of it. I, I don't know the breakout. I'm not as close to it. I came more from the technology standpoint, and I've learned a lot about the mm-hmm. insurance side, but there's an element that you need to have just because a tree could fall on your ash-covered car in your front driveway right now. <laughs> so there's always going to be some component of that, and then there's a, a component because of exposure because you're out on the road, and then oh, there's yeah. the component of how you actually, actually drive. If you start from what we provide today. So what we have, everyone knows how to price their policies today. Well, we can provide and we have a rating services organization. So Arity is an RSO, which means we have taken our algorithms and we filed those with 42 and approved 42 of the states, which means that an insurance company can subscribe to our score and apply that to their price. So for example, you're your, your standard price of whatever, $1,000, whatever that might be for this car for the year, if you then apply the ARITY score to it, you may add 25 to 30% discount for that, or there may actually be a surcharge that you need to apply for someone. And it's the insurance companies that decide how to do that. What we are able to do is give them these factors that they would apply onto their standard Rating, so that they could apply these factors in the right in the right way to try to attract the right risk that they want, or to price. In some ways, like there is no wrong risk, there's only the wrong pricing of that risk. A very good driver should pay less, and a, and someone who's costing a lot of money to the company should pay more. And companies have been doing that for years. They just haven't had as much data to do it as accurately as we can enable now.
2: Whenever we think about all of the data you have collected. Is there anything you can do with that data in self-driving cars? Those are kind of pretty popular, right? We talk about those a lot. Can they use your data in any way?
0: I would describe it in a couple of ways. The one aspect is the cars are trying to figure out how to drive like humans, and we have kind of a unique way of knowing how humans drive. So part of it is that, but I, I think the bigger opportunity is going forward when there are autonomous vehicles. They are still built by people, there will still be bugs, there will still be collisions. I'm convinced that in the future, ARITY will have a model that will say that a Volvo S80 does not play nicely with a BMW X5, but only on side streets in foggy weather. I'm convinced that we will we will know things like that. I'm convinced that as they interface with each other on the road, it won't always go totally kind of smoothly. So whether or not that, because a driver's doing it or a computer's programming it, things will still happen. And once you accumulate this massive amount of how the driving works and you see the outcomes, we will create models on that. The other thing that we'll have in the meantime, because my, my personal view is that that is out a lot further than what many people at least used to predict. And I think a lot of companies that have been working more on this now are really seeing some specialized use cases and not not the mass adoption that was being, Thought about even five years ago but where i think it's really interesting today the models that arity has are really good at understanding how humans interact with other humans i'm convinced that there's a whatever this period of time is i'll throw out 10 years or 20 years of when the autonomous vehicles actually start to be on the road and as you're merging on that on-ramp to look and see that, boy, this looks like a BMW driving in autonomous mode, and they're the ultimate driving machine, and they're aggressive, so I'm going to let that one go first. But then I see the, back to the Volvo example, I see the Volvo car coming, and they're very conservative and safety conscious, and they'll probably move over if I I go in. And it's really no different than how we all make eye contact with people when we're on the roads or the four-way stop. So I think those will happen. And as we start to acquire more data around those will we'll have some really interesting insight on how humans are interfacing with the machines.
1: 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road where you know the family of four is driving down the road and nobody's paying any attention at all to the road or the conditions or anything, zero. Driven 100% surrounded by all other cars that are doing the same thing. Do you see that day? do i see
0: that on the freeway um today you do people people in tesla today are doing that today and i've I've been in those cars and they actually do a pretty amazing job of doing it in some ways when i think about that a a car that has i don't even know what the number of sensors will say 50 sensors on it and all of these sensors are looking at the road around it in sub-second increments and don't get tired and aren't distracted and aren't eating their french fries and the kids not yelling in the back seat like they don't care they're just watching their thing to think that they shouldn't be able to do it better than humans i do uh it's just to me it makes logical sense their reaction time everything about it should be better here's where i struggle a little bit with it i was in um, on vacation in because in france and didn't do a smart thing and exited one exit earlier than i should have on this road and i ended up in this small little hill town and i've driven my my whole life driving in this hill town was crazy the roads were super narrow i didn't understand exactly how the street signs were done if there really were street signs and at the time i was on this trip i was actually preparing for a for autonomous vehicle presentation at at an event that i was speaking at and as i was thinking through that it's like this is not going to work that as the only time that the car needs to give you back control is when it's confused and it's so complicated in what it's trying to do. So I picture us uh, driving in the North End, and where you go back and forth, Boston commuting, Boston commuting. They haven't touched the they haven't touched the steering wheel in two months, and all of a sudden you're in the North End in construction, and you're going to run into things eighteen ways from Sunday because we're going right. to lose those capabilities. So I, I don't, I am dubious that the autonomous vehicles are going to get so good that they're going to be able to handle the idiosyncrasies of the side streets and the, that the oddities or the the only time I'm really going to turn it to you is when it's so snowpacked that I can't see the road signs anymore. And mm-hmm. what, are, what are you going to do? So, so that's why I'm a, an entire believer of main main roads of heavy trucks commuting or bringing goods from, from Greensboro, North Carolina to I don't know, somewhere in Tempe. Like I, I think there's so many great solutions for it, for the normal commute and dealing with the stop and go traffic. I think it's amazing. But I, I just wonder, could you actually get to mm-hmm. the point where they're really just going to totally take over and and what that would be like? Because just, it just feels like it would be such a risky disaster.
1: So if you're 30 or 40 years down the road, and like you say, we're at maybe a 90% solution, Cause there's the towns in France or there's the, the back bay in, in Boston and other places there where they're just out of the, so far out of the ordinary that the car has to pull over and say to you, um, Hey Tom, oh. <laughs> you need to take it from here. Um, but, but what does that mean for, for the insurance company? And I, I know you're a technology guy, not so much of an insurance guy, but I'm going to, I'm going to press you here. Isn't it, is it the end of auto insurance? No, I don't think so. And for the same reason that I mentioned earlier, that there's still going to be issues with the,
0: the cars. There's still going to be enough humans out driving around. There's still going to be um, the software that isn't working right. So does the risks change? Like I could see, um, in fact, we're even seeing some of it in the in the rideshare world, right? There, When, when Uber and Lyft, before the pandemic, they were growing so rapidly, they were, didn't have enough drivers. So then companies were um, trying to recruit more drivers. Well, those drivers didn't have cars. So then companies sprouted up that created fleets of cars. So all of a sudden, you have this kind of commercial fleet element tied into the transportation system. And when those companies had incidents, then they were using more of a maybe a commercial coverage. And could something move a little bit more to a product liability coverage? But ultimately, if one of these things breaks, you're not going to file a lawsuit against some big tech company to get your car replaced um, after some lawsuit you're gonna need an insurance company that's gonna fix the car get you back on the road and get you rolling again and there's going to be maybe a different view of liability so i i don't think there's any thought of that industry going away Um, in some ways you could look at it and say as the vehicles get more complex they're going to get more expensive to fix so it might be even more expensive to insure interesting but people will also they will get safer they'll continue to get safer um, hopefully there's a lot less fatalities and, uh, it's, I, I think it's all, I think it's all for the good, but I tend to not get too hung up on all or nothing scenarios or black and white scenarios. I think there's, there's decades of gray that will, um, that will makes a really interesting time to be in the technology business and the transportation ecosystem.
1: It's, it's a very interesting business. I'm sure you'll look back because by the time you're an old guy, everybody will live till 140 and you'll tell your great, great, great grandchildren about what it was like, right? When cars, used, when we used to have to drive cars. It's funny. We were up in, uh, we were on vacation and walked by a, uh, walk
0: by a phone booth and you think of the, <laughs> you know, walking by and see like, what's that? A phone booth, like, how am I going to use this? And Why would you need it? And what do you mean quarters? And like all of it. So I, I do think there's, there's some aspect to the driving that will be, that will be like that. And now you look at backup cameras, blind spot mirrors. Um, all these great safety innovations that that are just commonplace now that wasn't that long ago, they didn't exist. So I, I do think that one kind of example in, in the 90s, early, kind of mid 90s, I was working on a, on a project where we were taking data from the road, from the, there's loops in all the roads. And when a car goes over, it counts the car. So what we were doing was this test to collect this information from all these roads so that we could understand what the traffic was like and then found some way this was before there was a lot of cellular data available so you had to find some way to get it back to to the home office and then broadcast out over the radio station so that you could literally show a map in the car that had the roads red green and yellow in 1994. so that was something that i worked on back then so i am old about 140 but i am old Mm -hmm. back in 1994 that then by 2004, maybe maybe 2010, like of course everyone has a phone that's got six apps on it where you can see real time what the traffic is like, and that, that just didn't exist. And that's how I picture not only the, this insurance telematics happening, pricing based upon risk, but also things like autonomous vehicles. It, it, it happens, as I've lived with that for a few cycles, it, it happens kind of slowly you're in the middle of it thinking it's not changing and then at some point you kind of stop and look back and go wow we went through a transformation i didn't even feel it
1: right i mean all of us with smartphones i was i was watching an episode of the office just recently and they were all on flip phones and the office wasn't that long ago right i mean it, it wasn't and they didn't even have the phones that we all have today and to completely take for granted I just want to ask you one last question before we go. Sure. And that is it's it's always cool to have a, an experienced CEO on. And so I want to ask you, as the CEO of a kind of a cutting edge company, I'll call you guys that. What what are you thinking about these days between COVID and between everything that you're working on to do with data and all the issues around data? What what kind of big picture things? Just share, share one that's on your mind today. It's the the opportunity of how the world changes. I think every business leader that went
0: through covid you look at it in the beginning and you think about what's going to happen to the sustainability of my business and then you look at it and look, once you once you feel comfortable with that the next piece is okay so now what do i do over this next short period of time and once you get comfortable with your short term plan then you turn on now where are the opportunities to me that is that's where i try to spend most of my time is thinking about that so specifically we kind of touched on it a little bit. It's like, what is the future of work? If you think of transportation, and this isn't an exact science, but roughly a a third is commuting, a third is doing errands, and a third is having fun of your time that you're in your in your car doing social mm-hmm. activities. And if a third of this goes away or the distribution of it goes away, how does that just change um, change everything in the paradigm of transportation? And with our, unique ability to understand how people move, our unique ability to identify and quantify risky driving, um, how really can we can we live into our mission of making transportation safer, smarter, more useful for everybody? I think we're just at a at a great pivot point where where the world is changing and now not thinking necessarily so much about how things go back to normal once the vaccines get more prevalent, but instead looking at how will the norms that we've established during this six, nine, 12, 18 month period stick and how inside our business can we serve society and create a great business in the
1: process? Well, I, I love that. And I don't think there's any better way than to end on that kind of a note forward thinking and from a high view. And I really appreciate that. And both Lee and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and your diligence in getting connected because for our audience, they didn't know that we we had a little bit of a challenge today, but you'd never know it from how it went. You're an outstanding guest with so many interesting things to talk about. I wish we had another couple hours, but we'll spare our audience and and call it a day. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I like all this telematic auto stuff because it's really about where the future is going in right a, in a in a big way right
2: today really got me thinking about that it wasn't just about where we are but it's how is all this going to be used in in years to come
1: and soon I mean not soon. we're not talking about 2075 right just we're talking about 2026.
2: Well, even even talking about a auto driving credit score, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to say, that I know my driving record, and mm-hmm. I know that I'm getting a fair rate for it. It's no mm-hmm. longer of who I am or uh, what I'm driving or my age. It's mm-hmm. this is how I drive.
1: Yeah, I that would be a cool thing to have if there's like yeah. this independent rating agency that is like like your credit score, like we were talking about. Yeah.
2: I'm sure I'm sure there are other factors, right? You might be a great right. driver, but right. prone to wrecks. I, I don't know how all that works, so uh-huh. I, somebody smarter than me will have to figure that out, but
1: it's pretty cool. Well, too, I mean, you could be a good driver, but if you drive 140,000 miles in a year, your likelihood of in accidents is going to increase.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So it's no longer just how good you drive, it's how far you drive, and it's Correct. where you drive. It's all right. those things. If you drive in construction all the time, it's not great, but if you drive mm-hmm. on just regular suburban roads, it's mm-hmm. a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love podcasts like this, ones yeah. that make you think big.
1: Me- ones that make you really think about the future. And that's why I asked him the question about, you know, what's it look like 30 years from now? Because it really made me think, well, you know, everybody talks about what's going to in 10 years. There's going to be this transition and in 15 years and there will still be a lot of driving cars and all this. Okay, fine. So let's go past that. Let's go. Let's go 40 years down the road. Yeah. Where is it in 40 years? And in 40 years, probably most everything will have some kind of self-driving component to it. And and you can probably under normal like driving on an interstate, you can just zoom, you can go to sleep.
2: Yeah. I would imagine whenever it's time to exit, you get your alerts and you mm-hmm. you pop back up and go. Uh-huh. And it's the it's the next generation of the Jetsons.
1: How about you? Are you all for owning a self-driving car? Or or do you have some hesitation about that?
2: I don't do a lot of interstate driving, but you know, yeah, I'd I'd love to hop in a car and be able to read a book. I think that'd be awesome.
1: The time you get back, particularly if you're a commuter or something like that.
2: Yeah. I take my daughter to soccer three nights a week and it's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. And if I had that hour back uh, where I could really focus and just visit with her, that would be great. Right. Uh, So yeah, I'm all for it. Go Elon.
1: The ramifications for insurance And the insurance industry are huge. And I can't imagine, even though Gary said, you know, there's still going to be a need for insurance. And I agree with him. He's right. Yeah. But 50 years, 60 years, it's going to be quite different.
2: I was just thinking, we ought to get Elon Musk on as a guest and we can talk to him about the future. Why don't we do that? So Elon, if you're listening, go ahead Mm -hmm. and contact Alicia and we would love to have you as a
1: guest. What do you mean if he's listening?
2: Well, right now, I mean, when, when he's
1: listening. Well, well I, I know what we'll do. We'll take our Cracker Jack production staff, Alicia Moss and Al Moya, and we'll just say, hey, guys, get us Elon Musk for the show. I think he would make a good bookend on this. I agree. So everybody in our audience can look forward to Our episode with Elon Musk, which I'm sure is coming up soon. Soon. So with that said, we say thank you to everybody for being with us. Thanks so much to Gary for uh, being with us. What a great guest and a fascinating topic. And until next time.
0: Goodbye, everybody.